So there's a very simple kind of spirituality that Christianity is, and it's the one you read about in Scripture, and it includes those dynamics, those four R's. You have to see it. God can't do that for you. God can't show you your false self unless you're willing to take a look. You take a look, he'll show you a little bit at a time. But there's, there's something about the Christian way to getting out of this mess that is really beautiful. It says, allow yourself to be attached to Jesus. Allow yourself to let go. Because even though he's wrapped himself around us, we can still, this is our interiority here, we can still cling to ourselves and not let go into him. But the simplest way is to let go into him. And as a Catholic, the most powerful experience of that is the Eucharist, where in the Eucharist, he gives himself to us and in a very physical, tangible way. We take him into our body, and then he doesn't become part of us. We become part of him in that way. And we can do that every day. It's a, it's a marvelous experience. And taking him into ourselves, allowing ourselves to become part of him, we do this relaxing. We say, Lord, you love in me. You know how to love. I don't. You love. Lord, you love these people. Lord, you help me to see how to love these people. Lord, you remake me in your image. And he'll bring to light the parts of the false self we need to see so that we're not seeing it from a perfectionistic standpoint of trying to improve ourselves through some kind of a you know, self-practice. This is, to me, you know, the most remarkable thing about the Christian way is that he takes us to himself and transforms us by his own spirit if, again, we give him permission to do that. So we're working these four R's in union with his spirit who works within us to transform us. Are there any questions about that? What I've just put up here. In the, it's a very simple way. It's, it's the way of the Eucharist, I call it, is to allow myself to be one with Christ to give Christ permission to transform me. And in doing that, the roundness will come back. And I'll still be me, but I'll have something that uh, I didn't have before. I'll have, I'll have his experience of God, not just my experience of God. He will communicate to me his own privileged experience of God, to some extent in this life, and certainly in the next life, fully, in that beatific vision. I'll know the Father as He knows the Father. Think about that. That's pretty marvelous, isn't it? We'll know God as He knows God, and as only He knows God, which you can't get outside of this kind of experience with Him. Does this make sense? what I've put up here about what's happening in Christianity? Okay, well then, we'll see if the next thing does. This doesn't happen all at once. We speak of the spiritual journey as just that, a journey. You don't say, okay, Christ, uh, here I am, uh, uh, remake me, <laughs> you know. He says, okay, well today we'll start with this. Uh, this little resentment you've been cultivating, so deliciously for months at a time. I'd like you to take a look at that. Well, let's start somewhere else, Lord, and you're out of the journey, okay? 
uh, little by little, he raises these issues that we may not even know we have, but we have to put our faith in the fact that he is the divine physician, he's also the divine psychologist, the divine therapist, he does a much better job with us than we could ever do with ourselves. So we don't have to go looking for issues, as I say. You go ahead and try to relax and be here now in love, and don't go looking for trouble. It'll come your way. You'll discover plenty of things within yourself to work with. You don't have to go looking. It'll come, right? Whenever you start trying to love, you'll find trouble, for sure. We can speak of stages. The soul doesn't go from that distorted form to this perfect roundness. Uh, our tradition speaks of stages, and of course the stages is just a way of talking about the different kinds of issues that we find on the journey. Stages probably aren't real at all, so that's a little prefix to any talk on stages. It's a, it's a one continuous process, but there are different issues on the way. And, uh, and that's what I'd like to talk about, three different kinds of phases of this growth process in spirituality. The first one, the first phrase you might call breaking free. And uh, some of the words that have been used in our tradition would be purgative stage. And St. Ignatius would speak of reformation. We have been wrongly centered. We have been about another business besides God's business. Our heart has not been in the kingdom. It has been in the world. Our center has been self, not God. And in this early stage, we're changing centers. We're saying, okay, I, I see that that is hurting me and others, and usually we don't even decide to do this until we have to, <laughs> until it's too painful not to. But I see that I cannot go on living like that. There's a wonderful story about Leo Tolstoy. He was, uh, it's a good example there of a man who did inner work, but not spiritual work, at least for a time. He says, and he's writing in his, uh, his, his diary, and he says, I don't understand what's wrong. He says, I, here I am in my early 40s, and I have everything that anybody would want. I'm the envy of everyone in the world. He, was, he had written War and Peace. He's written you know, all these wonderful novels by that time. Uh, he was rich beyond compare in a very poor country, Russia. People would stream in from all over the world to come and talk to him. And he's writing in his, his beautiful wife, children, they're healthy, his crops are prospering. <laughs> he's got all these things going right. He says, all these things are going on, and I'm supposed to be happy, but I'm not. In fact, I'm miserable, and I don't know why. And he begins to realize he's been wrongly centered. He's been about promoting Leo Tolstoy all these years, okay? Uh, and so he, he starts to get it, that he's not supposed to live for self. There's a higher meaning, and he's supposed to be kind of addressing his life to that. And he went on to write some very profound spiritual works after that that have never become famous. <laughs> but as he did his best writing after he wrote his famous novels. Uh, 
that's what we're talking about in the purgative stage. That was so hard for him, and that's always so hard for us. We have been living out of a false center, and our thinking moves toward that center. Our memory moves toward that center. Our feelings are around that center. Our whole lifestyle, our whole identity has been built around those centers. And the purgative stage says, change your center and feel it. And it hurts. I mean, everything inside of us wants to go back, even though we know we can't and we shouldn't. Uh, our thinking still goes back toward the old things. And temptations are just so all over the place. There's also serenity, because whenever we get into the right center and start moving in the right way, something starts to relax in us, too. We start to feel some kind of peace and serenity. But there is still that old momentum. You can hear St. Paul talking about this condition in Romans 7. I want to do the right thing, but there's something in me that just keeps going back to the wrong thing. And it looks like every time I want to do the right thing, I do the wrong thing instead. And there's another law that lives in me, and he called it the law of sin. And in other places, he called it the old self. And here we're calling it the false self today. It all means the same thing. In other words, just because we turn to God and, and really say, I want to live in this center, I want to seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness, doesn't mean, well, the old life is done. It's still there. It might not have the power over us, but we still feel ourselves drawn back to it. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the beginning of a civil war. That's the purgative stage. It's putting up with that. And, um, of course, some people kind of breeze through this because they never really were that attached to worldly sinners anyway. <laughs> They're the lucky ones. I certainly wasn't. I was heart and soul involved <laughs> in the world. <laughs> through my teenage years and early college years, I was in the world and of it. <laughs> um, I was an ethical person, though. You know, I, I, I really uh, kept the commandments in, uh, well, except the first three, but I, uh, I kept the rest. Well, I even kept the third. I didn't even do a lot of swearing. But the first uh, commandment, well, you know, that's the one we're talking about, having strange gods <laughs> for the Lord. That's the misplaced sinner. I was into becoming this kind of person, you know, that had nothing to do with God. A dream that had evolved that, you know, I don't even know where that dream came from, all kinds of places, I guess, but it, it didn't have anything to do with being a disciple of Christ. And the early phase of my uh, journey was very much about, oh, I know I can't go back to that, but everything inside of me does. I have all kind of energy that keeps gravitating back to that. And uh, it took a couple of years, I guess, to really break free from that, to, to where it wasn't a bother anymore. And that's when we kind of enter in the second stage. Um, in the second stage, we're pretty much through with breaking free. We know we won't go back. In fact, it doesn't even attract us anymore. We don't want to go back. I don't need to do that stuff anymore. I'm not about that anymore. I'm a different person now. You feel like a different person. In the first stage, you don't feel like a different person. You feel like you've got maybe a new kind of thing you're into, and you're not sure if it'll last. I remember that saying. Well, I'm into this, 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 and now I'm a Christian, too. <laughs> this is one of many things I'm now into, and I sure hope this one lasts, because all the other stuff kind of gets flat after a while, you know. It's, it starts to get boring. 
I hope this doesn't get boring. That was my one big fear. And it didn't. Uh, Christ never let that happen. It never became boring. And in fact, uh, there came a time when it was the center of centers, and I knew that, that something had changed inside of me. I could not go back. I could go do the old stuff, but I wasn't happy. And it wasn't me, where before it was me. I was the one who did all these things, you know. The second stage is, uh, you might say, discovering your spiritual self. Now, how do I live this new life, and who am I? You know, I'm not who I thought I was. Before, my identity was attached to all these labels, white, male, American, uh, biology major, hunter, Cajun, you, you know, just go down the list and you're identified with all those things. So-and-so's son, like that poor woman in that story, I'm all of this, that's me. And, that, and then you discover in the purgative stage, that's not you at all, that's your conditioning. Who you really are is something very deep and mysterious that you can't put a label on. You're you. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just here. I'm there. But how do I meet my needs? You know, now that I'm no longer into approval and status and getting rich and stuff, uh, what am I supposed to do? Okay, that's just discovering your spiritual self. It was called the illuminative stage, too. It means the soul is becoming uh, illuminated with the Holy Spirit more and more, that is the life of the soul, not the old life, the new life. And St. Ignatius would call this confirmation. We're not reforming, we're conforming. This is where we begin to see Jesus is the one who shows us how to live this new life. Jesus is the one. He is the model. He is the example. He is the friend. He is the brother. In this stage, you're there with Jesus, and you may also uh, find the saints and, and the Blessed Mother. You know, we need models of how to live this life, and they show us how to live this life, and we learn from them. They give us a new dream. We want to be a different kind of person, and, and, and they help us to dream that new dream. And many, many Christians live this, well, that's the rest of their life. Of course, there are many who call themselves Christians who haven't even done this, breaking free, this purgative part. But in this part here, you're talking about, uh, I think, a, a significant number of people who are living that kind of life in the church. And uh, many of them will remain in that phase until they die. Uh, because the next stage is one that the writers of uh, the church have told us not too many enter into, but I think there are more than most realize. The next stage is called uh, <clears throat> transforming union, or uh, what that next third stage is about, is about living in union with God. Okay, and it was called transforming union. And St. Ignatius also call it transformation. St. Ignatius' three stages were reformation, confirmation, transformation. And uh, 
or purgative, illuminative, uh, transforming union, or unitive stage. It was also called unitive. Put that up here. What this stage is saying is that there is no longer a will in me that wants anything but what God wants. Whereas in the second stage, there still might be a will in me that can entertain possibilities that have nothing to do with God. <laughs> okay, That's why I say there's most Christians probably know this one very well. Christians who have moved beyond the beginnings and have made a faith commitment and you know they're not just doing this because that's what they were taught. It, it's a commitment. But in this one here there's really nothing inside of us anymore that we can say wants to do anything but what God wants. That's all that we want. We only want what God wants. And it's not to say you can't have a disturbing thought that'll come along or a temptation, but nothing in me wants that. Nothing in me wants to go along with that temptation. Whereas in the purgative stage, we say, hmm, that looks pretty good. I sure hope I can resist it. And there's a lot of white knuckling going on there, especially if you've gone very far into a false self kind of life. Oh, it's so hard to turn that around. This is the hardest stage without a doubt. It's that purgative stage. In the transforming union, though, say, the soul continues to be a human soul, of course, but it is living in that roundness. Right? It's living like this. Now, there we are, and there is Christ. They are one. And the person is a true self. There's no superficial self and deeper self. There's the person. And you might think that people in this stage are all so holy and far out that you just can't even approach them. It turns out that these are the most down-to-earth, normal people in the world. They're, they good sense of humor, plenty of common sense. When you read the lives of the saints and, and those who live in this stage, they're, they're really likable people. They, they are everyday, ordinary people, very approachable very humble. Uh, that the one thing that is lacking in them that will be noticed is there's no pretense. They're just themselves. You may not like what you see, but they are who they are. And, uh, and that's what you get. You, what you get is what you see, and what you see is what you get with these people. Only for them, there is no life apart from God. They don't know themselves apart from God anymore. They can't even imagine what it would be like to go back to living this way. So when we say transforming union, we mean that God takes over. They're no longer having to use their will to say, I resist this, I choose that. Because there's nothing in them that says, I'm attracted to this anymore. So in a sense, God takes over, and now there is growth. They go on, they go on learning, they go on growing and developing. Maybe we do that forever, right? Maybe we go on learning and growing even after we die. There's a lot to learn out there. I'd like to see what a black hole is like, for one thing, okay? All kind of things to learn, uh, not to mention other possible universes that might be worth exploring, those that we can't even see. So those are the three stages. Now, any questions or comments about that? Yes? Why do some people get to stay in one stage and not go on to another? Is it a, a yes. self-motivating? No. 
The, the transformation from this second or illuminative stage into that unitive stage has everything to do with prayer, with the kind of prayer that the person experiences. There's, the transformation here is from an active kind of prayer to a much more contemplative kind of prayer where God is doing this work. And I am certainly active in the sense that I'm there. I'm not talking about a quietest prayer where we say, God, I'm here, you do the rest. <laughs> you know? But uh, this is the, this, th that's the, the transition into that third one, is a contemplative kind of prayer that, not from the active conscious side, but from the unconscious side, transforms the person from the unconscious to the conscious. Whereas here, the transformation is starting, conscious self is choosing to go this way. And God says, you need to do that, Buster. I'll give you what you need. But you need to make a lot of choices before this thing can get going. And I can't make them for you. And that's something Christians need to hear is, God can't do for us what we have to do. Okay? But here, God is doing for us what we can't do. Namely, transforming us in ways we can't transform ourselves. We can't make ourselves into Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can make us into Christ. And the experience of the Holy Spirit in prayer is, is most perfected in contemplative prayer where we are just quiet before God in a, in a loving union beyond words, beyond feelings, beyond images, we are there in God's presence. You may not feel anything, but we're being changed from the inside out. Okay. So that would be the transition, and it, so it, it's an invitation really to a deeper kind of prayer. Once you get onto this journey, I mean, you're, you're really on the way to heaven. <laughs> okay. you're, you're, you're on your way. If you die with your tiptoe right here, you're on your way. You're going to get there. You know, your basic orientation is toward the Lord. You've made that commitment, and you're going to get there. He's going to take you there. If you don't do this in this life, you'll do it in the next. I say, why wait? Because <laughs> there's so much misery in these earlier stages. You know, we're going to get there. But why not enjoy our lives? in this world as much as possible. Why not be free of that stupid false self? The more we go here in these stages, the more serenity there is, the more freedom there is. Love becomes a choice, a real choice. It's not something we're doing out of need. We need to be in a relationship. We need to be liked. I choose to love. Bliss becomes the natural state of the inner life, a subtle kind of bliss. My joy I will give you, he said, that your joy may be complete. His joy, again. And we become awake as we go through these stages. We're living our lives awake. We're not going through life like most people, a robot, halfway awake, halfway asleep, not quite dead, not quite alive. We're enjoying our food. We're enjoying the people in our lives. We're enjoying a sunset. We're enjoying our children. We're not living on edge with fear and stress. We're living freely, awake. So the more you go in spirituality, the more you have of all of that. It grows. It keeps growing. And the more you affect in a positive way everyone and everything you do. People even in this transforming union stage may not be doing great, wonderful things. They may not be starting a religious order. 
are going out and working with the poor. They may, many of these people are sitting in nursing homes, saying several rosaries a day, just being kind and gentle wherever they are. But maybe they're changing the world in ways we can't see. Maybe they're cleaning up the clutter in the spiritual universe in ways we can't see. Maybe contemplatives are the spiritual vacuum cleaners of the world. <laughs> Somehow God is using contemplatives to make the spiritual life easier for others. So uh, you can't judge where a person is on the journey, in other words, by looking at what they do. That's not the criterion. You could have some people doing a lot of good things who are not even on the spiritual journey. Remember, we made those distinctions. You could have some people who are not doing a lot who are very far along in their union with God. God's just not calling them to do lots of things. He's calling them to live a very simple life and to do what they're doing and to do it well. Okay. Any other questions or comments about this part here? Yes, Francine. Once you've broken through, okay, once you've passed that first stage, are you guaranteed that the rest of the journey is going, that you're going to move along on the rest of the journey? Um, I mean, you're saying that once you've broken through, you don't want to go back. And you've broken through, you don't want to go back. But is there any kind of, I mean, is that almost follow that you will continue on the journey once you make a break? No, that, uh, you probably will in the sense that you won't go back to a hedonistic, narcissistic kind of lifestyle. That's the temptation here, okay, is back into that. The, the, uh, the dark side of this one, uh, you know, the consequence people uh, face is complacency, is one, is I'm at an okay enough place, I'll stop. All right, I, I've learned enough, I've grown enough, I've changed enough, I'll stop. And I think God lets us do that every now and then to catch our breath. But uh, then we want to stay parked. See, the false self is not really completely dead until this transforming union. Even then, you use constant vigilance, okay? Uh, but here, the false self is still there, and it'll say, now you've done enough. Now you're a good Christian. You've succeeded. Wonderful. Here we are, okay? So it wouldn't be a pull back toward the old hedonism and narcissism, but it could be, uh, see the temptations get much more subtle and insidious as you go along. Oh, right here you're not attracted to lust as much anymore, I mean, uh, but you sure don't mind being a little bit better than other people, <laughs> okay, or a little bit smarter than them, or a little more advanced in spirituality than them. You know, the more you go you start dealing with things like pride and uh, conceit and self-righteousness, uh, those become, you know, I, I, I'm in, and there's still an I-thou, there's still a, a, a dualistic splitting that goes along. Uh, and, and the spiritual consequence you, you would have is, the, is an aridity that is about complacency. Yeah. It's like, it's all dead inside of me. I'm, 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 I did break free and I've come this far, but now it's uh, dried up. Uh, in the spiritual life, you have to keep moving. If you stop for too long, it dries up. And the invitation along the way, every bit along the way, is to deeper prayer, I think, is the real 
invitation. This grows as prayer grows. When we stop with prayer and say, this is enough. Lord, this is enough. He says, fine, I can't do anything more for you until you say yes. So have it your way. See you later, alligator. He lets us have it. <laughs> that's, it. that's always what he does. It says, have it your way. I'll be there when you need me, though. Okay. But that's how we learn, too. I think, you know, it's, it's just in our nature to keep saying, is this real? Does it really work? Uh, does he really mean it? Does he really mean it? And we, we just keep going and doing it and doing it and learning. Yeah, this is what I want to do. As long as there's a false self, there's some possibility for that. I'd say certainly when we get into this illuminative area, spiritual direction is very important to help us recognize how that false self keeps putting it back, itself back together, but not around more base motives, but now around much more subtle psychological and even spiritual kinds of motives. We, the center slips away, and the center will slip away again and again and again if we're not careful. That makes sense, Nancy? Yes, okay. Thank you. Okay. Yes. You were uh, talking about this being a process rather than uh, just yeah. stages, and when you were talking, it sounded like you break through, you go go into your discovering your spiritual self, and then you have to break free again, almost uh, the pride. And, well, you're constantly letting go. That's right. You're constantly letting go of uh, first these things, then these things, then these things. And that is a process. Not only are you letting, you'll maybe let the same kind of thing go 50 times, but each time you're letting go of one deeper level. Oh, I thought I dealt with that already. And the Lord would say, yeah, you did, but it's time again to look at it. Now from this vantage point. <laughs> we looked at it from this one, and you, you did pretty good with that, but now you're ready to see it from this side. And, uh, and so it's a process, but there does come a time, again, when that's who you are. Okay? You, you're, you're not anyone else. You're not going anywhere else. You don't want to go anywhere else. Okay? So, so you have effectively let go of anything that can separate you from the Lord, has been brought to light. Uh, as I was saying, you know, not many reach this point, certainly in this life, but this would be the beginning of heaven on earth for sure, to live like this. It's very possible, St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa would say that if one makes this their most important commitment, you can go from here to here in seven years. And every now and then you get that kind of information, that uh, if this is your real priority and you make this your life, you can go seven years, you can be there, and live the rest of your life with that kind of happiness. And it doesn't mean you won't discover an occasional fault or character defect, something like that. That still may be, but it's not quite the same as in here. And what they always tell us here is constant vigilance. Stay awake, Jesus said. If the, if the owner of the house knew when the burglar was coming, he wouldn't have let him in. You start to see what these, these teachings mean. So stay awake in your house. Be a light shining in your house so the burglar can't come in. Okay. Other questions? Comments? Yes. Uh, this, this is an individual invitation from God to each, to each of us. Right. To go on this journey. Yes. Um, free will obviously has a big part in this, right? Of course. And that's why some people never get out of stage one. Some people never get into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why, why is that? 
Oh no, not, not, that's not so. Not, not everybody has the same invitations. Some people, uh, and Jesus even says, to those who have, much will be expected. To those who have not, not as much will be expected. Some people don't get a, as, as good an invitation as others. Although, you know, the church teaches that everyone receives an adequate enough invitation to respond in some way. But uh, you have to say yes, if that's your point. You know, no matter how much of an invitation you've gotten, you have to say yes. And so, see, that's a relationship, though. This is, whole Christian journey is about a growing relationship of love. Yeah, okay, and so love means I have to say yes. And love means there's a boundary. Real relationships can't happen without boundaries. There's a boundary between the divine and the human. The divine says, come with me. And the human says, after a while. And God says, I'll wait. And that's all that God can do. I mean, God can do more. Okay, God can do anything. But if this is going to be a relationship, that's all that God does. And that's my experience. That's all he does. He'll wait. So does that make sense as far as the free will part? You can't have a relationship unless you're saying yes. And sometimes we say, I want, and God says, not now. <laughs> Wait. But it's still a relationship. Two free beings who are becoming intimate. This also is a very unique dimension of the Christian spiritual journey that's different from the East, where we're doing a different work in the East. We're stripping away the false self to discover the true self, and there's a kind of an experience of God there. But it's not an interpersonal, intersubjective, relational experience there. We have two freedoms interacting. Okay. Anything else about that free will question? It's a no, real question. Yeah, just as to why so many people stay in stage one or don't get to stage one. Well, Anybody who's, okay, anybody who's made a little bit of progress on this journey knows the answer to that because the world system is a very powerful system and very seductive and very easy to get caught up in too, uh, especially if your family and your friends are all about that stuff. It's so hard to break free. That's why we have to speak of grace. You take something else to help us to break free from that, you know. Um, and that, that conditioning is so powerful, you know, to, to be in that stuff and go back to it. It's, even if you want to change it, it just keeps pushing you back. It's very hard. Uh, so I can understand, you know, and, and, and from this vantage point, this experience is impossible to comprehend. I mean, you just can't, you can't anymore imagine from here that human beings live like this. Free? What do you mean, you're not mad? I remember I gave a talk even to some students one time, and this was before I was, you know, really much along the spiritual journey, and just how people's perspective. I was talking about being gentle and kind and honest and stuff, and this, this little, little uh, girl came up after and said, now, Mr. St. Romain, be honest. Don't you beat your wife every now and then? <laughs> okay, you see what we're dealing with here? Uh, is like a, there is another class of people that 
have an experience of life that is so different from what goes on here that, I mean, to imagine being free from anger and physical abuse, uh, I mean, it's just impossible. To imagine being free from pride and self-interest and self-conceit, I can't imagine that. Well, what's in it for you, bruh? Nothing, I'm free. I don't want anything. Nothing? Nothing. Not even money? Well, a little bit, but not too much. Uh, you need some, you know. Okay. Anything else? Okay, I've got a little closing story here. I really like this one. Part of uh, the discussion on spirituality is very appropriate for our time, as uh, most of you know from just uh, reading about what's been happening internationally with nations, uh, what's happening even on our planet. What we're really in a time of crisis in a lot of areas. We've really never been here before historically. This is a new time in our history. And I think spirituality has got to, to play a role in, in changing where we are uh, in human communities. You're just looking at the riots in LA and the unrest that goes on around the world. Spiritual, spirituality is going to have to be the answer to a lot of these things. It's, it's really the next level of growth and development for this whole planet. And it's almost as though we're in a place in, this, in, the, in the historical development of this planet where if we don't get it, it's going to get us. Where if we don't wake up, uh, we're going to be facing some terrible things. And that's why I like this poem so much, because it describes where I see well, the whole race and the needs of the race so well. <clears throat> it's by Christopher Fry, and it's called A Sleep of Prisoners. He says, the human heart can go to the lengths of God. Dark and cold we may be, but this is no winter now. The frozen misery of centuries breaks, begins to move, the thunder is the thunder of the flows, the thaw, the flood, the upstart spring. Thank God our time is now, when wrong comes up to face us everywhere, never to leave us till we wake, till we take the longest stride of soul people ever took. Affairs are now soul-sized. The enterprise before us is exploration into God. Where are you making for? It takes so many thousands of years to wake, but will you wake for pity's sake? That'll do us. Thanks for the time. From Ligori Publications, this has been a Redemptra's Pastoral Communications audio book.